I would like to welcome you all to the Dirty Soapbox, where my soapbox might be dirty, but my kicks are clean. I want you all to sit back and relax and get prepared for a great show. Thank you. You know, I was in the gym the other day and this guy overheard me talking to my friends and I kept saying, cut the check and they were laughing. And he came over and said, you know, when you're married, all that cut the check stuff goes out the window. Now, my friend was complaining about his wife not supporting what he had going on. And I was telling him she needs to cut the check. Now, my other friend says, he's married. You can't give married people advice. I said, he's married, but before he's her husband, he's my friend. I'm going to give him sound advice. She needs to cut the check because I know if it was her and she wanted something, he would cut the check with no questions asked. And cut the check is literal, but it's also metaphorical too. It's just about investing in someone that you love or claim to love and care about. Now he came over and he said basically that I was married 23 years and I'm getting a divorce for that very reason. Now I don't want to get into what he said about his marriage and everything, but I will get into what he said about what he would pray or what he prays to God before he wants to take on an endeavor. He says, he prays to God to be able to see it. He says he tells God that he wants to see it and if he sees it, if God shows it to him, he will do it. And he says like clockwork, every night, goes to bed and he has a dream and the dream is detailed from start to finish of what he wants to do. And he said when he wakes up, he starts writing this stuff down, and he said he takes off from there. And he said that's how he's been living his life. And I thought that was so powerful. I thought that was so awesome. I thought, I've never thought of that. I actually never thought to do that. I'm always thinking faith, faith, faith. I gotta come up with something out of nothing. I got to conjure it up on my own, but no. I can simply ask God to see it. And that's still faith. Just ask God to see what you want. Because think about it. Everything we've gotten in life, everything we've achieved, everything we've done, we saw it before it became a reality. Everything we even see today was a thought first. So I thought it was powerful for him to say, for God to let him see it. But he said, he cautioned me. He said, now don't pray for it and then be scared of what you see because God's gonna reveal it to you. And I thought it was powerful. I thought it was powerful on the theme of speaking life into your friends. I thought it was powerful for 
people needing confirmation and somebody walking over and talking to us. Um, I thought it was confirmation for me just for a man to tell me that I can ask God to see it. And guess what? You can believe one thing. If God shows it to you, it's real. If God shows it to you, it's real. Now, he gave my, my friend some advice about his marriage. He said, there comes a point in time where you got to stay on the pot or get off. He said, there comes a point in time in life where there's no more talking to be done. It's all action. You either do it or you don't. He just said, take it from me. I did it for 23 years. He said, but the beauty of all this is you don't have to. Now, he wasn't telling him to leave his wife. I was not telling him to leave his wife. But what I think we were both saying was, you got to hold your wife accountable. I get even deeper. You got to hold the people around you accountable. I'm going to dig a little deeper. You got to hold yourself accountable. And I'm going to get spiritual on y'all. You got to hold God accountable. You can go to God and say, I was promised this, and I want it, because that's still faith. Welcome to the Dirty Soapbox. I saw a mother on uh, Judge Mathis the other day, and her son was obviously hurt about the relationship he had with his mother. But she said something powerful to her son his whole life. And he probably stayed with her about four years of his adolescent life. But for the most part, he was raised by his great-grandmother and his grandmother and, I guess, an aunt. But he said, his mother would always tell him, I will always love myself more than I love you. And he was hurt by that. I got to thinking about what she said. And I said, she literally taught him the most valuable lesson. And that is, you have to love yourself first. Now, many of you all listening think, well, she was harsh. He was a child. That's her son. But you know, we are caught up in a lot of fantasy. And we don't want to face the truth. Because the truth of the matter is, if his mother doesn't love herself more than she loves him, then she can't be the best mother that she can be. She went on to be in the service, the military, and, you know, went to get her master's and did all these things in life. And she said she did it for her son. So then by the time her son got to be older, a teenager, there was a life already established for him and her. She had property, you know, great job. 
house, everything was set up for him to come stay with her. Now, many of you all don't like that approach. Many of you all would rather see her and, and he struggle and be the single mom with the child story and, you know, just struggling in poverty. Many of you all would like that story. Many of you all don't like the story of she made a way for her son and his life is better with the decisions that she made. I get it because we're real caught up in fantasy and what feels good and nostalgia, but truthfully speaking, we can't be the best persons that we need to be without loving ourselves first. And I'm real big on loving yourself first because my friend once told me one time, he said, my boy Chris said, how can you love God if you don't love yourself? And that's a powerful statement, and it's true. How can you love God if you don't love yourself when God made you? And in fact, the first act of love is loving yourself. That's the first act of love. You can't be the best you without loving yourself. And I say first. Because when you love yourself first, you make better decisions. And when you make better decisions, you make better choices. And when you make better choices, you give yourself the best chance in life. So his mother did him a great service. She told him the truth. And she taught him to love yourself first. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I wanna give you all encouragement right now and just realize that the root of all these problems that we face in society or that we face in our lives is the lack of self-love. We don't love ourselves. And when we don't love ourselves, we don't give ourselves the best chance at success because we don't care enough to. And so right now in this day, I wanna tell you all to love yourself first. Love yourself first. Give yourself the best chance at life. Love yourself first so that when it comes time to love somebody else, you can because you know what love is. Love yourself, y'all. Many of you all are familiar with the Central Park Five uh, by now. Netflix had a powerful, I guess, miniseries, if you want to call it that, four episodes of When They See Us. And it was basically about these young men who were accused of uh, brutally attacking and raping a, a white female jogger in Central Park. And I watched this film and I thought about some things. I compared the film with these young men and the documentary I saw on Ted Bundy. And I realized that the media plays the biggest role in 
how we feel about something. Because what the media does is the media gives us an emotion. The media constructs an emotion for us to latch on to. So in the case of the Central Park Five, the media basically dehumanized these young black children. They use the term wilding and wolf pack to make the world think that it was a bunch of black kids just running around being savage and, and, and lawless and just beating up and attacking and raping white women. So they basically created fears. And it's funny because in 1989, there was like, what was it? 3,000 and something reported rapes in New York and it was a record number for homicides at over 1,900 homicides that year so New York was in pretty bad shape like this wasn't a an uncommon thing for a woman to get raped or for someone to get killed and the attacker the attacker tried to kill her or he thought he killed her but my point is A lot of times you'll see that there will be a societal ill and they will try to cure it in one stroke. Uh, For example, the the whole Bill Cosby thing. The the Bill Cosby situation pretty much overshadowed everything dealing with this quote-unquote Me Too movement. And as you'll see that no one else will go to jail because Bill Cosby is a sacrificial lamb. So what they did was they let you all see where they tested out what will happen if we just villainize Bill Cosby with a whole bunch of stuff and he goes to prison. Well, what happens is the people are satisfied. They're satisfied for two reasons. One, because this is a guy that we perceive to be a good guy and he wasn't, quote unquote. And two, we have somebody to pay for the crime so to speak, but really the crimes. But nobody else will go to prison behind any of this Me Too things going on with celebrities. Nobody else will go. Bill Cosby was the ultimate sacrifice. But I will say this, R. Kelly might go, but he falls in line with being a black man. Listen, I don't want to get off track. I want to talk about the Central Park Five and the key players to me in this whole thing. And the key players were Donald Trump, Patrick Buchanan, Linda Farstein, and Elizabeth Lederer. These four people really were instrumental because they used their positions, their power, and their money to basically ruin these kids' lives. And I said something on Facebook. I said that the judicial system, the judicial system is corrupt by nature. And it's corrupt because it's biased. It favors the rich and it favors the white. So already the judicial system is flawed. It's flawed from the jump. So as I'm watching this movie, I just see how easily discarded black life is. 
they just easily disregard black life, easily disregard it. And in particular, black males. They'll give you all these statistics on how hard it is being a black man in America, but what outreach have you seen to correct it? What programs have you seen targeted specifically for black men, young black men? What national agenda is in place specifically for young black men? What campaigns have been started for young black men? What politician is saying we have to help black men? You see, the movie was eye-opening, but it was confirming. And it confirmed that whether we want to admit it or not, black men have it the hardest. And I'm not saying that as a badge of honor. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm not saying that to say whose plight is worse, whose struggle is harder. I'm saying it to say with as much information they give you on how hard it is to be a black man in America, who has stepped up to save the day? This is why I say it's hard being a black man. Because at the end of the day, nobody cares. Nobody cares. There's stuff for women, black women, children, black children, homeless, sick. There's stuff for everybody except young black men and black men. Now you all want to convince me that it's not a setup. But I know it is. I can see it. I can look on TV and just look at the representation of us. I can watch films and I can see how we are represented in films. I can look at media. I see it. When was the last time you saw a strong black male character lead on a sitcom, TV show, Netflix series? When was the last time any of them you saw a strong black lead as the main character and also the show didn't get canceled? Your wheels are spinning right now. That three-legged hamster is in that wheel turning right now because you got to think. You don't remember. You're trying to think right now, when have I seen it? You can't tell me it's not a setup. What is the fear of the black man? I'm watching these grown people, rich, successful, prominent, affluent, white people, 
white adults literally abusing children, literally setting out to destroy these kids' lives, literally, literally taking their innocence from them. And all for what? To look good? For a conviction? These young black men, these children, these teenagers weren't valued. We're not valued. That's the problem. We're not valued. There's this notion that we're not needed. There's this notion that we can't add to society. There's this notion that we are expendable. These are five children. And these people were hell bent on ruining their lives. So we have Elizabeth Letterer, Linda Farstein, Patrick Buchanan, and Donald Trump. And I picked these four because they have the most influence. And they use their power to ruin these young men's lives. So much to the point where they're even still saying these guys are guilty, even though the true rapists, the real rapists came forward detail what happened in the crime, a detail that only he knows. It was his DNA. It's ridiculous. They're still trying to save face, even at the expense of someone else's pain, even at the expense of the innocent, even at the expense of the victim. They are still trying to save face because saving face is worth more than these black man's lives. We're not valued. We're not seen as important. We're not valued. We gotta go to court and wear a suit, get a haircut. We have to look the part in hopes to get treated fairly. Nobody has it harder than the black man. The police aren't shooting people because they're gay. The police aren't shooting people because they're women. The police aren't shooting people because they have extreme political views. The police aren't even shooting terrorists, but the police are shooting and killing unarmed black men. We're not valued. And so I'm watching this movie and I realize 
even though this story didn't end as tragic as it could have, even though these guys got paid millions, there's no amount of money, even though their name was vindicated, records clean, and keep in mind, these five young men, teenagers, boys, had never been in trouble with the law ever. They had never had an experience with the police. Never. And they basically made these young men confess to something they didn't do, knowing it was going to ruin their lives. Not value. They didn't even see them. They just saw opportunity. This is why I say it's so important that we know who we are. This is why it's so important to know where our identity comes from. And our identity comes from God. God gives us our identity. Not you looking in a mirror saying, this is who I am. God gives us our identity. And God made us to be great. So our identity is greatness. What we should identify with is greatness. You gotta be who you are. And that's great. I always say don't be safe, be great. You gotta be who you are and that's great. We're not valued. We're not valued, but we're valuable. We're not valued, but we're valuable. And this is why I say the greatness in the flesh. You gotta believe that. For all my black men out there, you gotta believe it. And we need to conduct ourselves accordingly. Guess what? I know it's tough out there, I know it's rough. But that Central Park Five happens all the time. That Central Park Five happens every day. The black man being undervalued, underappreciated, misunderstood, miseducated, and in the end, destroyed. So, Elizabeth Letterer and Linda Farstein and Patrick Buchanan and Donald Trump, they will have their day. I mean, they'll have their day on this earth and they'll also have their day in the afterlife. Central Park Five. It was a tough thing to watch, but it's a reality. In conclusion, I want to offer you all some advice, some things that I've learned along the way. And keep in mind, I'm learning every day. So I don't have it all figured out, and I'm not the guru. But I want to say that ask God to see it. Really sit down with God and ask God to show it to you so that you can have that confirmation. Because if God shows it to you, like I said before, you can guarantee it's real. 
Ask God to show it to you. And when you see it, don't play with it. When you see it, run with it. Write it down and run with it. And have people around you that are willing to invest in you. Have people around you that are willing to cut the check. Don't let people shortchange you. And be in people's lives that you're willing to invest in. You don't shortchange people. And when you get some wisdom, always listen. You don't have to waste all this time. We can ask God for wisdom and God will give it to us freely. But guess what? There's wisdom around us every day, all day long. We got to pay attention. And when we get the wisdom to make a change. Michael Jackson said it best. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And lastly, but not least, dear black men, I love you all, but the standards are going to have to be raised. I'm saying that if we want to call ourselves kings, we have to be that. If we want to be royalty, we have to be that. If we want to leave a legacy, we have to be that. If we want to be the best we can be, we have to be that. No more excuses, no more wasting time. We are the example for the world. I believe in you all. I love you. Thank you all for tuning in to the Dirty Soapbox. I want to remind you all that my soapbox might be dirty, my kicks are clean. Thank you.